in a universe where things must be drafted. We have to draft things? Three nerds fight for supremacy. Wait, what? I don't want to hurt anybody. This is Draft the Universe. Let us out of this cage, please, sir. I want to go home. No. There we go. (laughs) Theme music! All right, everyone, welcome to Draft the Universe, the Nerd Fight Battle Royale. We're going to choose a topic. We already drafted our favorites, and now it's time to battle head-to-head on unexpected criteria to the death, or maybe just for bragging rights. On today's episode, we're going to be battling it out with all of our favorite 90s action movies, and I only have one thing to say about that. I don't really... Can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah! I don't really think that we should be battling to the death, guys. It's action movies, man. I expect a body count of at least 37 on this one. This is going to be an R-rated podcast for violence, sexual themes, and some language. Really? Probably. What kind of words do you anticipate we'll be saying? Um... Having edited a... (laughs) Dookie. Dookie. Fug. We get one F-bomb, right? Or that's if we're PG-13. I think the ship sailed on that uh, approximately five episodes ago. Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, we definitely have a... a... Those ratings, they're all political anyways. The good news is my grandma probably can't figure out how to listen to a podcast. You think that right now, don't you? I kind of hope so. Yeah, because she'd be super disappointed (laughs) in your draft picks. (laughs) (laughs) getting to these matches first up is ben versus jaffer chris you are the judge i believe you've got something behind you there where we've put all the criteria i see a faint glow but i can't quite tell what it is this is a really uh important briefcase uh the faint glow i can't tell you what it is um in fact, don't look directly into this briefcase. Oh shit, it's the Ark of the Covenant! <laughs> no, but I think it's previous. the previous owner of the briefcase looked like a bitch. I don't think he did, actually. I think that maybe he didn't. If I had to guess, he would have not looked like a bitch. <clears throat> Alright, we got some our criteria. first, our opening criteria. Any, any, any remarks, any boasts before uh, I, I read these off to you guys? Um, I don't know, I'm feeling real good. I, I like my picks. I, I, I feel confident. The, I will say the last time Ben and I went head-to-head for nerd supremacy, there was a little bit of anger between us. Um, I'm, of course, referring to John Cena versus Superman, which I feel great about, and I just wanted to bring up again to psych Ben out. Let's hear the criteria. All right. Criteria number one. Which You're film? Douchebag. <laughs> criteria number one. Jaffer is a douchebag. Criteria number one, which film has the most iconic villain? And criteria number two, if this movie came out this week, who would sing the obligatory tie-in song? 
I would point out that really um, theme songs for movies um, were kind of only obligatory during the 90s, but uh, we'll, we'll go with it. They still happen. There's still lots of music videos. I mean, Justin Timberlake had one for Trolls. Like, he they're still coming out. Trolls. Was that, was that video, did that, that video begin I with him saying... I did not watch the music video was it titled? Trolls. Was it titled Trolls? The song? Yeah. No. Okay. Because there, there, there was an era of films in the 90s in which um, specifically Will Smith sang your theme songs for you. And the theme songs were titled exactly like the films. Yeah. Yes. All right, Ben, you had first pick, so you go ahead and select your first film for battle. Okay. I'm going to go boldly, where no one has gone before, Star Trek First Contact. I will see your nerd cred and your computerized people and raise... The Matrix. Ooh. Resistance is futile, Jafar. There is no spoon, motherfucker. Alright. Ben? Alright. So, most iconic villain. Star Trek First Contact, we get the Borg Queen. Now, I know for those of you who don't like Star Trek, this is going to be completely meaningless. But, for anyone who liked Star Trek The Next Generation, the Borg are the most iconic villains in that show. And what about the people with the really wrinkly foreheads? Which ones? You need to be way more specific. You know, like the really and the really thick eyebrows, they're very warlike. I'm pretty sure I know which one, but we still could be talking about at least I'd like to two. point out just for the record, Klingon. I'm talking about Klingon just so the internet doesn't jump down my throat about this. I know what I'm talking about. Um, but that was a joke. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It yeah. also could have been the Nausicans. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also like to point out to the internet, not that much of a nerd. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, sorry, none of I'm, us get to claim that. I'm a record. nerd for knowing the species that stabbed Captain Jean-Luc Picard through the heart. Which I don't was, think so. Which was not in first contact, to No, it was clear. in Tapestries. God, Tapestry is such a good episode. I know. <sighs> <laughs> okay, so... Star Trek First Contact introduces the Borg Queen, the leader of the Borg. Uh, she is... Uh, she's manipulative. She's smart. She has the power of millions of drones at her fingertips. They are her and she is them. She is the center consciousness for the Borg. And it changed them from mere automatons into a more uh, insect-like species with the Borg Queen at its head. It gave a face to the faceless and because she was so different and easily able to adapt, because she has the power of thousands and millions at her fingertips and their thoughts, their emotions, everything that made them them then perfected, she's able to be the perfect foil to Jean-Luc Picard and Data and the the crew of the Enterprise. She was so po- she was so amazing. They made her a character on Star Trek Voyager and she was the main villain for the last few seasons. Mr. Benjamin, I was expecting you to go on a lot about that. The fact that you had to start your claim 
for how iconic your villain is with a disclaimer that if you're not a Star Trek fan, you don't know is enough. The Matrix, besides the machines being the overarching villain, who the reveal of their very existence being the twist of the movie, you know, well, I don't know if it counts as a twist if it's in the first 20 minutes and is the general premise. I don't think it does. Only uh, in Shyamalan films is the twist required to come at the very end. Yeah. Sometimes you can twist in the middle. Sometimes you can twist throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you don't even know if it was a twist or if it wasn't. Which was the best part about USS Callister was the twitch in the the, the twist in the first five minutes. Now I wasn't going to get into details, just the the twist being Black Mirror loves to do the oh hey this is the twist ending got you guys and doing it the first five minutes and breaking their format like that was brilliant and reminiscent of the Matrix having their big reveal be much earlier in the movie and explaining the ramifications of it. The reveal of this villain so iconic that it's the premise of the entire film. And then also Hugo Weaving's excellent Agent Smith villain. Having kids mimic him in schoolyards for years. Wait, what? I don't think anybody was yeah, mimicking no, Agent no, Smith. Mr. Andrews, I did the thing. Yeah, no. Wait, this, a, that was wait a second. No, we got to dig down on this a little bit. Did you dress up as Agent Smith in the schoolyard? No. No? No. Did you dress up as Neo? No. Were you in school during the 90s? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to point out, I believe I've seen a video of you and a mutual friend of ours dressed up like Neo and doing slow motion fighting. I mean, if wearing blue <laughs> jeans and a hoodie is dressed up like Neo, the slow I, I, motion I, fighting video, that exists internet. <laughs> but I was not dressed as Neo. Okay, I don't remember it that well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I remember when they announced who was going to play Elrond that I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Agents, <laughs> Agent Smith? That makes no sense. Okay. Uh, so so we've got Ben, the Borg Queen, and Jafar, the Machines slash Agent Smith. Um, this one's pretty clear cut. Um, I don't appreciate how Arch Jaffer got when making his point about it. I would argue that maybe he is the most iconic villain at this table right now. Um, <laughs> but he's got a point. Uh, Agent Smith is definitely the iconic villain uh, of the two of them. And I would argue uh, maybe of, of maybe the uh, the part of the, that part of the 90s. So, well done. On to number two, Javert. If this movie came out this week, who would sing the obligatory tie-in song? If you can sing, maybe perhaps if you could sing. Don't put that juju on us. (laughs) (laughs) No one wants to hear me do that. I promise. Just a snippet, you know, like a small. Um, so it's, if this film was released today, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Well, this week. This week. So technically it could have come out yesterday. Okay. I feel, man, I kind of want to go for like. A pop ballad with some rapper in there. Doesn't really matter which one. And before the internet gets angry, believe me, I know plenty about rap to name a handful of them. It's just one of those, like, I side did a verse things. Uh, but to be honest, I think we can do better. Okay. Um, if The Matrix were being released today um, with computers being the place in society they hold now compared to 
1999. I feel that they might reach out and get someone who has a bit more experience in there. Um, particularly right now, I'm thinking either MC Chris or Richie Branson. Interesting choices. Um, both nerdcore rappers. Um, maybe Mega Ran. Mega Ran could do an excellent Matrix song. He's got so many albums he probably already has, to be perfectly honest. Um, I see maybe like an Anamanaguchi team up where it's chiptune in the background. Um, Kind of the Matrix now watching it feels a little retro with all the like lines of code and everything, that iconic image. I feel like chiptune would go really well with that. So we'll say Mega Ran with Anamanaguchi doing 8-bit nerdcore. Okay, do you want to Google that name to make sure you put the right amount of Namanas in it before we release it to the internet? Are um, you certain that you have Anamanaguchi? The... Anamanaguchi. Anamanaguchi? Anamanaguchi? Anamanaguchi. Yeah, I think I got it. Let's just yeah. say, let's just, let's sit in a circle and say that for a couple more minutes. Anamanaguchi. Anamanaguchi. No, not Tamagotchi, Google. You killed your Tamagotchi. <laughs> Anamanaguchi. Yeah, I got it. Say it again. Anamanaguchi. Excellent. Okay, Ben, to you. If your movie came out this week, uh, who would sing the obligatory tie-in song? I don't know if sing is the right word. Craft. Is probably best. Okay, so you're going Inuit throat singing then? No. I'm saying, if you think crazy computer sci-fi otherworldly, there's only one choice. And that's Daft Punk. They are going to remix the, the original theme of Star Trek The Next Generation. They are going to do it live at the, the premiere Stop making me sad that we didn't get a live 2017. That's not fair. That's why they were too busy doing my hypothetical Star Trek First Contact reboot. Because you know what? Not only did they do the theme, they did the whole soundtrack. All right. Jafar rebuttal. I'm sure it was great to get them to do the whole soundtrack, and I'm just wondering how you pulled them out of hibernation in France. <laughs> it wasn't hard, Jafar. Well, do you personally know MC Chris? <laughs> let's let's not go down that road. Um, well, I said I said Mega Ran to be clear. Oh, Mega, Mega. And I actually know a guy who knows Mega Ran. Okay. He, okay. he wrestled with him. Life is interesting. Okay. Cool. As tempted as I am to like to call to call both of your guys' bluffs and see which one of you can produce your artist the quickest. <laughs> it's ben, Magfest. I got ben, a decent chance. Uh, final word. Uh, they. Do you really think the two guys who are parading around in in, uh, in robot helmets haven't seen Star Trek? <laughs> Do you think they wouldn't jump at this chance? I think they'd probably jump at a chance to redo a Matrix soundtrack before they did First Contact. And maybe you should have picked Daft Punk, but you didn't. I did. I mean, Tron 2.0? They already did it. <laughs> it was good. It was great, yeah. Um... This is, I mean, this is an interesting one. I think that um, Ben chose the better artist, but uh, it's really been done before. 
especially with Daft Punk. I think I'm going to give it to Jaffair. All right, that's a decisive victory for Jaffair and a decisive loss for Ben. Next up, we have Chris versus Jaffair, where he will surely not take it out on me. Oh, boy. Not taking it out on you. You are not the one who made the bad bad calls. (laughs) All right. Ooh, look at this beautiful orange light. It's so shiny. Okay. So, first criteria for this one. Which film is the most 90s? Second, which movie's actors have done the best for themselves in the 20-teens? Okay. So, which film is the most 90s? And which movie's actors have done the best for themselves in the 20-teens? All right, Jafar, your pick? We're going to go with my right smack dab in the middle, 1996's Mission Impossible. All right. All right. Chris? I've got some good, good choices on this one. If I choose one of these over the other, I'm going to have to... Uh, <laughs> one of them, one of your picks in particular, I will just seed one of these criteria on. I've got no <laughs> chance. Um. <laughs> the problem is I believe that these questions are mutually exclusive. <laughs> they're, pretty, they're, they're pretty... No, I, I'll, have to, I'll have to explain later what I'm, what I'm talking about. I'm going to go with... Um, Da 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 Jurassic Park. All right. Okay. Okay. So, first question: Which is the, which film is the most '90s? Jafar, you start us off. What do we think of when we think of the '90s? Good. This is this is a Pogs. question. Pogs. Yes. Okay. Uh, an economy that actually hired people and. The promise of a college education actually getting you a job. We're not that kind of podcast. (laughs) Call Love It if you want to get on that. (laughs) Personally, I think of in America looking for its place in the world after the end of the Cold War. Taking its place as the one superpower, which I won't get into the political ramifications of that. I'm just kind of speaking on my ass right now. Don't really actually feel that was the case for the 90s. Regardless, um, that was kind of the cultural zeitgeist at the time. Um, I feel Mission Impossible uh, being the post-Cold War spy thriller captures a lot of the cultural zeitgeist of the 90s. Alright, so Chris, which film is the most 90s. I think this is a pretty even matchup, to be honest. Um, I would agree. Yeah, both of our films continued having sequels through to today. Mm-hmm. Um, Yours took more of a break than mine, but I don't feel like that particularly hinders or hurts either of them, their cases. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, also what was happening during the 90s, you have uh, Dolly the Sheep, you have the beginning of, uh, you know genetic engineering in America you have all of the uh, the kind of um, uh, fear and anxiety that comes from that um, and you've also got the birth of 
the CGI slash, um, well, the birth of the CGI loaded summer blockbuster. Um, and I would argue that uh, nobody did the 90s better than Spielberg and that the Jurassic Park Tyrannosaurus Rex, if you were to pick a mascot for the 90s, might have a good shot at it. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to say that while both of these films have a pretty good shot um, at, at, at being 90s, I think that there's nothing quite as 90s as a bunch of computer-generated dinosaurs chasing some teenagers around a park. I would rebut that I believe the most 90s mascot was the Taco Bell Chihuahua. Uh. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I mean, if he had if he had been in <laughs> he one of these films, he would have won it for us. Alright, uh, Jafar, your rebuttal? Uh, yes. Uh, if we're looking at mascots for the 90s, Going even back to our last criteria, tie-in song, Mission Impossible theme, and title song was done by U2. Real fucking nineties. I would argue that U2 is pretty eighties actually. And um, Ots with yeah. them getting thrown on everybody's phones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's particularly Zoo Nation. That if you want the most nineties, you'd go. Mission Impossible 2 with the Limp Biscuit version of the Mission Impossible <laughs> theme. Um, <laughs> actually, I, I, I thought about making that point, uh, but that movie actually came out in 2000. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I know, right? And then Metallica did it, right? Like, Did they? Metallica did the, the Mission Impossible theme at some point. I have not seen any of them past 2. I saw 1 and 2. Probably a wise I decision. Saw, no, I haven't seen 3 2 was six. the bad one. The rest are pretty good. Did, did it rebound? Because <laughs> yes. 2 was so bad I swore them off. I mean, yeah. I liked Simon Pegg in the, the new ones. Yeah, and, that made me... Uh, I kind of want to go back and watch. He's in, what, 5 and 6? I think so, yeah. 4, okay. 5, and 6. Four, oh, okay. 4, 5, and 6. It's getting, it's getting a bit like the Fast and Furious verse over there now, where it's like, there's yeah. like Mission impossible ghost protocol and yeah mission michigan and <laughs> well it's the opposite they yeah. went fast and the furious dropped titles and went to just numbers mission impossible dropped numbers and went to just titles with the exception of to- tokyo drift which had no number yeah, yeah well, that's well that outside. was that was that was three that's what i was referring to but was there a number in tokyo drift no yeah so yeah they dropped yeah numbers. so they, they yeah that's yeah. what i said they reversed there was also no number in too fast too furious it was t-o-o <laughs> Man. Also, movies okay. are weird. <laughs> uh, so, one thing I would be remiss if I didn't point out, Chris, I believe the vast majority of the effects in Jurassic Park were all practical. No. No, it was... It There's was a, a little... I mean, there were... It was a pretty even split, but I would say that, I mean... We can we could get on a whole nother tangent about how excellently done that was. Yes, um, <laughs> a lot more of Jurassic Park is CGI than you probably realized because it was done so well and holds up so well. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. I, I, stand, I, I I just know there were guys in the Velociraptor suits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there was a fair amount of practical effects. Um, the same can be said for Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, and uh, I I I do have to hold it against you, Jafar. You didn't bring up the fact that everybody and their mama parodied. The Mission Impossible breaking into the computer scene. There, there was a lot of that. Everybody did it, uh, and I mean, for a few years, like longer than it they should have, people were referencing mm-hmm. that scene. I would, I would agree. Um, I was saving that for the next criteria, but we can go ahead and get it out now, Ben. That is a very strong point. 
Um, that scene was parodied a great deal. But I, I do have to say, which one makes me think 90s? Uh, I'm going to go with Jurassic Park. It's fair. Yeah, That's it, a close one. Like, yeah, those, they're, those they're both very 90s very films. Very 90s. And if both you had picked great Batman, movies. If you had picked Batman Forever, I would have just passed. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so criteria two. Which movie's actors have done the best for themselves in the 20 teens? Christopher, you start us off. I really don't have to point any further than one single actor in Jurassic Park who I think carries the rest of them, because I'll admit, the rest of that cast, um, while they've had some success, not nearly as much um, as this particular gentleman. That's right, I'm talking Jeff Goldblum, who has become a cultural touchstone of the teens. He's appeared on Portlandia, he's appeared in the newest Marvel film, there are memes upon memes of his Jurassic Park days. I mean, did you see Edge of Tomorrow? Did, did, did it's, you, it's a good one. I mean, it's fantastic. Are, are, you ta- are you talking about um, the, the film previously known as... Uh, Live, Die, Repeat? <laughs> Live, Die, Repeat, or... Uh, no, that was just the, that was the subtitle, and they ended up making it the main title. I know. So it's, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember what the, what the actual title was of that. That was Edge of Tomorrow. No, no, no you're, you're, are you talking about the book, All You Need Is Kill? All You Need Is the Kill. The much, much, much better, better name. Yes. <laughs> Why they didn't use it, I will never know. Oh, oh that is that is... Some executive deserves to be fired, and I'm sure they already have been because it's Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, my point would be that Jeff Goldblum kind of um, he was great in the '90s. He has resurged in popularity, not just in terms of like being featured in films, but in 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 like a almost a George Takei fashion of being like uh, social media presence um, in 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 memes and in cameo appearances on other television shows i would say that tom cruise kind of you know tom cruise crazy jumping on oprah is is about the the same meme level as jeff goldblum <laughs> yeah. all right jaffer mission impossible the first mission impossible in particular had a fantastic cast which i'm totally not googling right now well, it does have my favorite, uh, one of my favorite 90s actors who's only in, like, 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's Emilio Estevez. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, did they just kill Emilio Estevez? <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. He got weird elevator spikes through the face. They totally pulled a <laughs> scream on that one. Um, very much appreciated that. You've got uh, John Voight. You've got Jean Renault in that movie. Um, Jean Reno, who I believe might be the most 90s. Uh, Jean Reno, very 90s. <laughs> the 90s was his decade. I mean, John Voight uh, running around. He's not in as much as he used to be because he is rather old these days, um, but does have some popular spotlight uh, for the Golden Globe he won in the 20 teens. And also, you know, he's Angelina Jolie's dad, if you didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Estranged, I believe. I do not keep up on their personal lives. But, I mean, Tom Cruise has had a fantastic decade. We give him a lot of crap for Scientology, uh, but he's made a number of incredibly well-grossing or well-received films in the past seven going on eight years. Jeff Goldblum, I would be hard-pressed to name three movies he's been in in the last eight years. And I saw Thor Ragnarok. And my wife's favorite director is Wes Anderson. (laughs) 
And I, besides that, some TV stuff. Yeah, I mean, my argument essentially comes down to the fact that he has remained uh, a pop culture icon despite the fact that he hasn't been in nearly as many uh, prominent films as Tom Cruise. I feel like Tom Cruise has had the spotlight just by virtue of continuing to ride um, franchises and occasionally jumping on, I'll grant you, a, a couple of good um, new IPs. Um, meanwhile, Jeff Goldblum has, uh, he's kind of like, exists, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry. But yeah, I, I mean, I feel that Jeff Goldblum was a beautiful flower that bloomed in the 90s and transcended beyond just being an actor to being an, an icon um, in the teens. All right. Well, I'm just going to say uh, part of why Jeff Goldblum wasn't, wasn't in movies is he was on Law & Order Criminal Intent for a bunch of years. Uh, yeah, that's, that's I mean, I didn't watch that. But <laughs> I did I'm also sad Chris didn't point out that Laura Dern, Dr. Elliot Sadler, was in the newest Star Wars movie. <laughs> it's true. It's That's true. a pretty, pretty big pull. Um, uh, Sam Neill's been no slouch. Yeah, no, but Sam Neill's been doing a lot of really, really good TV. Mm-hmm. But I don't know which of that has been in the aughts and which has been in the teens. Um, I, I, I picked my, um, my horse with a open black dress shirt and his beautiful chest out i picked him on purpose um i dropped some water onto his uh his trembling uh hands in the back of a jeep i knew what what i was doing so we'll see also you didn't bring up samuel l jackson (laughs) 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 so i'm giving this one to jaffer and we are taking this one to a tiebreaker reaching back into the briefcase so bright. Samuel L. Jackson smokes so much in that film. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. the 90s. <laughs> you were allowed. Yeah. Inside. Alright, and now the next question is which movie has the most dinosaurs? Damn it. it! Yes! Chris, you <laughs> son of a bitch. This is against the rules. You approved my my uh, my questions. You just didn't read them carefully. I, I guess that's what happens. Did you submit these through the proper channels? Did the commissioner approve these? Don't say his name. No, no, because this is this is something we can all get blacklisted for. <sighs> oh. oh, what's that? See what you did? No, this is what you did. Do not put that juju on me. Oh, please stop ringing. Jafar, just check it. Oh, God. Oh, you know what? I'm just handing it to you, Ben. I can't even read this right now. Okay, yeah, Ben, that... take a deep breath, because you're going to need to hold your breath while you're... I don't want you to rupture an eardrum. Yeah, that question's been thrown out. Okay. I'll take, I'll take that. That... Thank you, Anonymous Commissioner. That is... That is a just and wise decision. Okay, so I'm reaching back in. Okay. Shame on you, Christopher. Which movie has the best legacy? All right, Jafar, you start us off. Six films going on seven. And while Mission Impossible 2 is bad, I've never heard anyone (sighs) mention it in the same breath as Jurassic Park 3. Jurassic Park 3 was okay. 
the only redeeming part of that movie is watching William H. Macy get eat by a dinosaur. Did that happen? Have we that happened? That? that happens. Okay. <laughs> Sam Neill was okay in that movie, and it was good to see him get another leading role. Yeah, I mean, we can appreciate Sam Neill getting work, but <laughs> being happy someone gets a paycheck is different than him being in a good movie. All right, uh, Chris? I mean, I think that when we think back on films that uh, stand out from the pack, um, both of these films are on the list. I would just argue that mine has giant dinosaurs in it, and I don't make that point, like, uh, apropos of nothing. I think that people just responded more to giant dinosaurs than they did to um, kind of highfalutin spycraft and, um, I mean, Spielberg's uh, reputation carries the Jurassic Park diamond near the center of his ring. Uh, It's a great film. Both both are great films. I'm not going to argue that either of these is a uh, a poor film that isn't doesn't have much well deserved respect. No, that's 100% fair. I fucking love Jurassic Park. I had to stop myself from watching it in the research phase because it <laughs> wasn't on my list, and I had to focus elsewhere. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, to be absolutely clear. But that the question isn't which one of these is Jafar's favorite. The question is which one of these has a better legacy. And as we've already brought up, yeah, there are memes from Jurassic Park. There are parts of Jurassic Park that survive to this day. I would say Tom Cruise's career is alive to this day because of Mission Impossible. That in his, like, like full-bore craziness in the public eye. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think we have a lot of films outside of Mission Impossible that owe Mission Impossible their existence. I don't think we would have had a James Bond like Daniel Craig without Mission Impossible. I don't think it would have necessarily taken that same turn. And I mean, really looking at it, Mission Impossible being in 1996 and being a gritty reboot of a TV show from the 60s. Yeah, 60s, because Nimoy went from Mission Impossible to Trek. Or is it the other way around? I think he went from Mission Impossible to Trek. Yeah. So a 60s campy TV show... It's really the first modern gritty reboot that is something that carried through and gave us Batman Begins, gave us a handful of films, some good, some bad, most bad, but some good, that all owe their lineage and legacy to Mission Impossible. I mean, that's fair. I would just argue that while Mission Impossible kind of strung along its popularity by releasing an occasional good film in that, in that series... Jurassic Park has remained kind of a Hollywood touchstone despite the fact that it was followed by several disappointing uh, sequels. And the fact that Jurassic Park is continuing to receive uh, sequels despite a couple of lukewarm ones now is a testament to the, uh, the legacy that it has within Hollywood, within the uh, blockbuster summer hit um, world. All right. Well, in my mind... There's only one Weird Al wrote a song about, and that's Jurassic Park. So I'm giving that one to Jurassic Park. Thank you, Weird Al. (laughs) Well thought, sir. Well thought. Those are two real good movies. Real good movies. Chris gets a victory and two points, putting him at two. I have a non-decisive loss, giving me one point, putting me at four. Next up is Chris and Ben. Here's the briefcase, sir. The briefcase. You know, it's lighter than expected, given... 
Wow, all the stuff that's in here. Is that... Do you guys feel... Is that an eyeball? Is that a grape that someone peeled the skin off of? I can Oh, never my grapes! Tell. Oh, no, I've got my grapes here. Oh, oh no, no, my no. eyeballs! Womp <laughs> womp. Criteria number one. Imagine the ultimate 90s product placement or tie-in merchandise for your film. Whose idea will make the most 90s kids put down their Pogs and Game Boys for your got-to-have-it item? Pogs were a part of everybody's 90s experience, right? I just want to make sure. I mean, assuming that you were born before, like, (laughs) 1991, I have to imagine so. I wasn't cool enough for Pogs. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you get growing up in rural Michigan? There was just a pog shortage before it got to, I'm not saying your town name out of respect for your privacy. No, it was, my parents wouldn't let me get pogs. And by the time they finally let me, it was because everything was super cheap. And because everybody had already given up on the fad. Pogs started off as, like, the the lid from milk containers. They are the definition of a poverty toy. <laughs> How can you be not cool enough for those? <laughs> Oh, boy. All right, what's our second question? (laughs) Throw aside your adult notions of what is good. What film would your 90s childhood self actually want to see more? Okay. All right. 90s product placement. What what movie does your 90s childhood self want to see? Chris, you have first. I'm going to go Small Soldiers. All right. All right. Ben? Rush Hour. Okay. I really want to hear your product pitch, but Chris will be going first. Well, like I said um, in the draft, um, one of the reasons that I drafted this film is because the toys were excellent. So this pitch makes itself. I wanted wanted to kind of give you a a brief history of my love affair with toys from this film um, because it started off with toys from Burger King. They were unarticulated plastic statues as we all know as a kid that's kind of cool but it's not quite cool enough right next was the uh, articulated action figures with firing laser firing laser beams from their their toy guns those are pretty cool i i, I got some dental floss i, I fashioned a uh, grappling hook for those as i did for every other toy uh in the 90s and then past that point and maybe not every 90s kid had this there were 12 inch uh, large fully cloth clothed um, versions of the the toys um, that were very similar to the actual toys from the the, the film um, they had weapons that could be holstered and pulled out which in the 90s was really cool what I'm gonna pitch however is the actual toys from the film the ones with the military chips inside their heads that can run around and kill kids. Because I know that as a 90s kid, the danger mattered not a whit to me. All I wanted was a goddamn toy that could play with itself. <laughs> that sounds awful. I wanted a toy that could throw its own grappling hook made out of dental floss, is what I'm saying. And I think that the ultimate 90s toy, kind of building on a general theme from the 80s of like, electronic toys were electronic toys that weren't just peaceful little robots but that could inflict some serious casualties so that is my pitch ben i don't feel like i need to go beyond chris wants murder toys 
excellent, really cool murder, murder toys. I'm not pitching to you. I'm pitching to the kids, and the kids really fucking want these murder toys. I think, I think your modern twenty teens ennui is seeping into your nineties idealism, and I know, I know the heart of little Ben, of little nineties Ben, and it is a goddamn shame. They did not make any Jackie Chan action figures for the movie Rush Hour. Can we can we do a check? I'm sure they did. They did not. <laughs> really? I did a search. The only thing that comes up is that that uh, Rush Hour game where you move the little cars around as a puzzle. <laughs> there were no Rush Hour action figures. You did not get, I'm guessing, at least five Jackie Chans in different uh, scenes from that movie. With the, the steering wheel uh, handcuffed to his arm, running around, guns blazing. You don't have a Chris Tucker action figure, which I'm sure would still be hanging on his wall. Oh yeah, his. I think he, he might have got one for Fifth Element, actually, but it'd and be like next to that, though. His other, believe, only other action figure. I think Ruby Rod was a tougher sell to the kids of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe the saddest, and I believe everybody's with me on this one, the saddest, there's no Tom Wilkinson action figure mm. <laughs> I believe had we gotten those 12 inch fully articulated kung fu action Jackie Chan action figures Ben would have loved those they made small soldiers action figures and they did about as well as a small soldiers movie there's a reason that was not a franchise. Uh, I mean, hey. are we going to pull the toy sales? Because I would like to, I would like to make an argument, perhaps that we're not, we're not going to pull the toy sales. <laughs> well, and we're going against <laughs> my hypothetical awesome Jackie Chan action figures. Oh God, I want Jackie Chan action figures from Rush Hour. I'm, I'm saying, sure they made some for Jackie Chan Adventure. They did, and I'm I know saying, I got some. I believe there were some like McDonald's or Burger King toys that I believe I got because. Jackie Chan is awesome. All I'm saying is I want a, a, a chip hazard commander of the, the the commando elite that can throw his own dental floss grappling hook. I want an archer emissary of the Gorgonites who can hunt mice in your house while you're not at home. He can function like a cat, except that the cat can make really witty uh, and, and heartfelt commentary about your Encarta on your 90s um, computer. I want living action figures, and kids want living action figures. So I'm torn. Are you burnt? My. (laughs) 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 One day it won't be funny, but that day is not today. I, I have made up my mind before I say any of this, and all of the things that I am about to say do not weigh into my decision. I promise. I hate small soldiers. I hated that movie when I was a kid. I hated the stupid damn toys. I thought the design of them was stupid. I thought they looked terrible. They were just army dudes that were just too buff and too awesome for their own fucking good. And maybe I was just at an age where I was a little bit older than you, and that's fine, but I fucking hated Small soldiers. Sure. We've, we've talked about this. And I know it was an important part of your childhood. Can we take a brief trivia break for something that won't affect the, the judging at all? Well, this that will, I did not take my personal hatred of small soldiers <laughs> into account there. Sure. Um, I do want to bring up Rush Hour toys. In particular, 
I mean, I know why you didn't do this, Chris, but Ben, how bad do you want Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker Beanie Babies? You fucked up. No, because <laughs> Beanie Babies are all animals. They would have been bears named yeah. Chris Tucker and Jackie I don't Chan. want that. And uh, you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth with Beanie Babies? Come on, that would have been great. No, I want, a, I want a Chris Tucker where you push a button on his foot and he says, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And then war plays. <laughs> I wait war like the war huh yeah yeah, yeah. that was in both films <laughs> interesting huh. yeah it must have gotten really cheap <laughs> we get the rights we know one thing that war is good for here's my bit of trivia about small soldiers um the commando elite are voice acted by actors from the dirty dozen huh and interesting. the gorgonites are voice acted by the cast of this is spinal tap christopher guest oh. and company <laughs> Uh, I, did, I didn't even I know. I love that. waiting for Guffman. I didn't even know that until I saw it. Just a cool bit of trivia. All right. Um, regardless as to which toy I actually want in the 90s, what's going to be making me set down my pogs and my Tamagotchis and my Game Boys, it is not a Chris Tucker action figure. Well, then you are wrong, sir. It is the action figure that plays with itself, Chris. <laughs> oh, you guys are. Oh, no. So wrong. So wrong. What? What? It's just lean in, Ben. Just lean in. No, I need to lean away because I'm pretty sure I popped right there. <laughs> maybe you should swing you out. Maybe you should swing out of the room on your dental floss grappling hook. I, by the, the way, the I, point goes to Chris. Thank you. Um, I mean, was I the only kid who turned like dental floss into grappling hooks for my action figures? One hundred percent, yes. Just I, you. I don't think you can say that. I did third. not. You didn't? I, I you, got a Batman were, action figure I mean, with cool a little grappling hook. It okay. was like embroidery floss or something. I, I would take the hooks off of those and give them longer hooks on dental floss. <laughs> uh, kudos to your childhood ingenuity. Yeah. I mean, all of all of my action figures had grappling hooks, regardless of whether it was appropriate for them. <laughs> so, I mean... I don't know what I was doing there. I know Ben was building robots instead of that. Um, I'm sure other kids had done it, but I that mean, wasn't my particular jam. Also, uh, your mom being an oral hygienist I did uh, have a lot probably means you had a lot of dental floss around. I did have a lot of dental floss around. I mean, okay, uh, uh, if you were a kid during the 90s and you used dental floss as a grappling hook on your toys... Tweet at us. T- yeah, tweet at, tweet at me. Uh, I'm at Robot Chris, or tweet at our, our podcast. At Robo Chris, you got your own Twitter handle wrong. At Robot Chris, is it is it Ro- Robot Chris or Robo Chris? It's Robot Chris. Okay. Yes, I am not a murder toy, by the way. Um, so I will continue doing this whole thing civilly, rather than um, uh, brutally um, murdering everybody at this table with, um, you know, constructed weapons from like tools in the garage and some connections. I don't know. I keep losing, so I might murder everybody at this table. (laughs) Alright. My 10% beer is finished. Uh, So we're going to do your criteria, Ben. Yep. Uh, Rather, you do the next criteria first. Um, Put your adult notions aside of what is good. What film would your 90s childhood self actually want to see more? Let's get through this so I can get another uh, podcast fluid in me. Well, putting my modern opinions aside... I know which movie I saw in theaters and which movie I saw significantly later on VHS. I saw Rush Hour. The 90s action movie was uh, Jackie Chan's Domain. I remember watching uh, bootlegged copies of uh, 
Police Story and several other Jackie Chan Hong Kong action flicks and being so, so excited that I was going to see Jackie Chan on the big screen and he was going to be kicking and flipping and uh, shooting bad guys. And I loved it. Everyone loved it. That's why they made three uh, three of them. And that's why they were trying to make a TV show now. Ooh. Yeah. Because it's so good. And Jackie Chan is so good. Have they gotten anyone for that yet? Or is it too early in pilot? I believe Bill Lawrence was making it. The guy behind uh, Scrubs. Ooh. I'd watch that show. I don't don't know whatever came of it, but... Tangent aside. Chris. (laughs) When I think back to myself as a kid in the 90s, and by extension all kids in the 90s, if there was one film that I wanted to see, it was the film I was not allowed to see. And Small Soldiers did this really tricky thing. I, to be clear, I will never argue that Small Soldiers is a better film than Rush Hour. But in its marketing to 90s kids, this film looked more violent than it was. And that's because it was shot to be an edgier film and got nerfed later on in production. But as a kid, I wanted to see things like that. I wanted to see all of the explosions, and I wanted to see the the little action figures running around with exacto knives, tearing up the ligaments of everybody around me. It was forbidden. It's fucked up, dude. <laughs> oh, it's, it's fucked up. It's fucked up. Um, I also just just as a, as a side note, I made a joke during the draft about uh, Phil Hartman. Um, not being uh, able to, like, prize himself away from his stereo equipment to save his kids. That is true. His character is very 90s in that aspect. This was also the last film he did before he died. So R.I.P. Phil Hartman, who was a gem. Rest in peace. It was a, a gem of an actor. Um, and uh, so I will I will show no disrespect to his memory by t- attempting to make yeah. more jokes about that. I mean, I feel everyone has a favorite SNL cast. Anyone who watches SNL for any period of time. And your favorite cast is always your first um, I hold the same theory for Final Fantasy. Um, your favorite Final Fantasy is always your first. Crystal Chronicles! Um, oh. But, and, and for me, Phil Hartman was part of that SNL cast. He will always be one of the funniest people who ever lived to me, uh, whether or not that is empirically true. If there was an, an annoying dad in the 90s, there was like a 50-50 shot that Phil Hartman was blaming yeah. that dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was excellent, so yeah. But yeah, the my argument is it was the film that I wanted to see that I thought I wouldn't be able to see, but made into a film my parents were okay with me seeing. <laughs> Any rebuttal, Ben? I won't say anything against Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman was great. But Jackie Chan coming and doing the big box office blockbuster, it was awesome. It still is awesome. I would sit down next to eight-year-old Ben and watch this movie again. I remember seeing both of these films in theaters. Oh, Mr. Money in um, the 90s. <laughs> they didn't come out like week after week, dude. <laughs> um, oh, I invested in Lycos. <laughs> uh, my memory of seeing Small Soldiers and how excited I was to see it was nothing but disappointment. I remember really not liking the movie. I remember thinking that it might be cool and then just getting shit on um, rush hour. I have the exact opposite memory and I will go ahead and code this as an auto win and apologize in advance for it. Um, rush hour. I remember when that was coming out 
there was an air of excitement around the house growing up about this movie for me. Like, it was going to be a thing when the family went to see it. My uncle came along. It was a deal. When we went and saw Rush Hour, there was a lot of excitement for it. And I fucking loved it as a kid. And every time I have watched it since then, I have never been disappointed by that movie. So I have to give it to Rush Hour. All right. So we are taking this to three. Fair enough. Okay, let me grab one more criteria out of this bright glowing briefcase this is one I was really hoping I would get to judge and not have to argue who stars in the hypothetical 2018 sequel to this movie Chris oh shite okay oh there's a lot of casting to do isn't there um just give me a couple a couple um like you did previously we are like, this group of people was this people, this mm-hmm. group of people was this people. Why don't we stick to that theme? Sure, sure. To, to limit this a bit. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go even a little more simplistic. Um, you've got Chip Hazard, and you've got Archer, Emissary of the Gorgonites. Chip Hazard? I'm thinking, and I don't, I, I'll, I'll admit, maybe you can't get him for this, but I think Clint Eastwood. You need somebody with some real gravel in that voice. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're going to uh, get the the hard-boiled army veteran, I, I think you go with somebody who's gonna add some heat to the production. Clint, okay. Clint Eastwood, Archer, emissary of the Gorgonites. You need somebody wholesome with a, with a sense of inner strength. Uh, somebody who had similar success uh, with a role doing voiceovers, um, but give them a little bit more to work with. I'm seeing Vin Diesel um, as a uh, you know. Uh, you know, firing, I, firing some bow and arrows. I he I I see him doing very well in that role, and him actually taking it, unlike Clint Eastwood. Uh, so there's one of the Gorgonites whose name is Insaniac. He's kind of like a quick, uh, quick-witted, uh, like making puns the whole time. I want to throw a line out to the fans of the original film and cast David Cross for that. For that, David Cross is one of the executives who comes up with the Gorgonites and then has his peaceful vision for these action figures like corrupted by men in suits um which was a pretty 90s plot line okay i forgot david cross was in that movie yes yeah. <laughs> you forgot most of the people are in that movie because there's a lot of really notable people uh that's three three is good i think we're only going to get two out of ben sure. maybe three so let's let's hear your recast ben okay so modern rush hour rush hour four as uh the new young hip detective who uh is taking it on the mean streets of la i've got michael b jordan uh he's got that sass he's got the the uh the chops you know he was creed he can he can do the fight scenes man can we just take a minute and reflect on how excited we are for black panther oh it's gonna be real it's gonna be real good continue so michael b jordan uh, teaming up with Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Chan is now the uh, the Interpol inspector who is uh, targeted and has to go on one last mission and has to team up with the young, cocky African-American detective. And he knows this rodeo, he's done it before, but he can't do it alone. And that is why joining the cast for this, this uh, iteration... Tony Jaa. 
coming in doing a lot of the the heavy lifting for the martial arts scenes we still get to see some some Jackie Chan doing Jackie Chan but we know he can't hold up to you know 90s action Jackie Chan he doesn't have as many bones left to break yeah yeah he's they're they're pretty much paper mache right now uh but it's okay he still has the gravitas of Jackie Chan he still has that fun uh, mm-hmm. character that he can bring to it. He can still make the jokes. He can still have the the rapport. And we still have uh, the same dynamic that made uh, Rush Hour so great. The East meets West. The, the no-nonsense with the fun-loving but still gets stuff done detective. Maybe this time we flip it. The American cop is the, the straight-laced guy, the the Hong Kong inspector is more, no, this is how we do it in Hong Kong. We go, we drink, we party, we have fun, and then we kick bad guys in the face. And by the end, the three of them roundhouse kick the bad guy at the same time, and he goes down. Oh, I want to see that movie. I, okay. <laughs> um, instead of a rebuttal, I'm going to slightly twist our formula. Chris, give me the surprise cameo. Just real quick, who makes a surprise cameo? And then just, like, a sentence or two of context. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't mind pitching the story a little bit, because I only really did some characters. Um, and I got some ideas, too. But uh, the surprise cameo for, for this one um, is, uh, I think, coming down in a helicopter at the end of the film when the army has had to get involved with this. And maybe we've seen him kind of, like, uh, in a dark, shady office. Uh, maybe you've heard a couple of, like, bits of telephone conversation. Tommy Lee Jones is the army general uh who's come to mop up the mess he was in the first one right tommy lee jones was the voice of chip hazard okay that's what i thought but i wanted to confirm both for my own benefit and for our listeners and then just to flesh out my version of this 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 new updated one and just to flesh out my version of uh of this new um this new uh this new casting for for new era um i think that the major theme of small soldiers in today's day and age goes from being um, misuse of, like, military technology to misuse of military technology, just a different one. I think that drones, um, Mm. a focus on the increasing motion towards, like, automated warfare, um, I think that you don't even have to change it so much as you just have to resituate it in today's context. It has a little bit more gravitas. I think you probably aim for a PG-13 rating rather than um, a straight pg um, and yeah, you, you kind of, you play up that angle, the, the creeping paranoia of, uh, you know, nano machines of drones of swarms, that kind of stuff. So. Okay. Ben, your surprise cameo, my surprise cameo at the end, uh, when they've caught the bad guy, Jackie Chan's, uh, Interpol boss comes in and in another homage to a wonderful nineties, Jackie Chan movie, his Interpol boss is Owen Wilson. He's like, Hey, you caught the bad guy. Great job, guys. Wow. High noon. All right. Wow. Uh, I like both of these pitches. I like the casting choices. I feel like all of the casting choices are really well done as far as hypothetical casts go. Not holding against what I assume would be your inability to get Clint Eastwood. I think I would still rather see the new cast take it over with Jackie Chan uh, in tow for Rush Hour. I would go see that movie opening day in a heartbeat. 
that's a really exciting cast and premise for me, personally. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with Ben on this one. All right. All right. That gives Ben a non-decisive victory and two points and Chris one point, putting me at four points, Chris at three points, and Ben at two points. Next up, we have Ben versus Jaffer again. Chris? In round two. Round two. Chris, you've drawn the criteria. Uh, about to, yes. Very bright. Wow. <clears throat> Maybe get some sunglasses. All right, our first one. What did your film win in its high school mock election? Okay. And our second criteria. Come up with the shitty pun title for the newspaper review of your film. Ugh, Interesting. Categories written for Ben. Uh, you you did express some uh, excitement at the first category, though. So. And you wrote the second category, so you can't give me any <laughs> shit for this. I was hoping I wouldn't have to be in a match with you against it when I wrote it. <laughs> Rather than try to edit around it, because uh, it's probably evident by now that some of us are sick, uh, you might hear some coughing from here on, folks. Uh, just to let you know, I'm I'm giving Jaffer some time to think of his choice, and also uh, giving whoever edits this episode a little bit of extra leeway if they don't catch it every single time I cough. It's like negative three degrees here. <sighs> We're going to go with The Professional. Excellent. Luc Besson film. Ben. Jean Reno off. Come on. Come on. Jean I know you want to. I know it's you want to. It's French. Jean Reno. I know you want to. Oh, damn. I am right, right? It's not. It's, it is French. It's Jean Reno. It's Jean Reno, yeah. Okay. Uh, you don't have to. I'm not pressuring you into making a pick. But just know that if you don't, I'll be forever disappointed and we're not friends anymore. No pressure. No pressure. I'm going to go with hard-boiled. All right. Well, gentlemen. Okay. The first criteria. What did your film win in its high school mock election? All right, Jaffer. It's your turn first. The Professional. It's right in the title. What do you? What does someone who is a professional do? They succeed. At killing lots and lots of people. When they need to, when they're paid to, and when they are, they are professional about it. Most likely to succeed, they're professional. Class of 94. Excellent. Ben? I believe Hard Boiled would win Most Likely to Succeed because it was the launching point for both John Woo and Chow Yun-Fat, who both went on to have amazing careers in America and this was their big Hong Kong you know action blockbuster that got them noticed and got them you know to come to America and uh, got them to uh, in John Woo's case make several other action movies that we know and love and make uh, you know the doves flying action scene a thing everybody can remember and make uh, reloading a thing of the past and was able to uh, boost Chow Yun-Fat to the point where he was able to star 
in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, which, after Hard Boiled, is probably the movie that most uh, connected Americans with Hong Kong action cinema. They they saw the promise in Hard Boiled and knew the main characters, the main actors and players were going places. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was where I first learned that Chinese people can fly. In bamboo forests, at least. The professional is all about paying your dues. It's about putting the time in, learning how to do something, learning how to do it right, and proving to your mentors and peers that you can do it right. That is the definition of most likely to succeed. At killing lots and lots of people. Yeah. But, okay. but also, you know, just like, when, when we say most likely to succeed, that means most likely to be really good at the thing that you're setting out to do. It doesn't, there's no most likely to be richest or most likely to be, you know, tech billionaire. That's not what that means necessarily. It's very open-ended. Most likely to, kill to give Natalie people. Portman some really bad PTSD. And launch her career. Oh, I feel like there's a Hollywood problem encapsulated in that, isn't there? I get what you're saying. You are um, feeling a little bit Christian Bale in American Psycho to me. But uh, that's fine. Ben, final, final word? I'm just... It is an amazing movie that launched two amazingly successful careers. I think probably just by by a hair, um, the professional gets it. That hair is its title, um, but it's a pretty close one. All right. What did I do to hurt you, Chris? <laughs> just just let me know. I'll fix it. <laughs> you got a, you got a, you got um a strong uh, next topic, Ben. Um, come up with the shitty pun title for the newspaper review of your film. Well, that's easy. Hard-boiled cracks American audiences. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Jaffer. That's... Man. <laughs> Professionally good doesn't sound that good anymore. <laughs> Never go up against Ben in a pun contest. Let it be known. I mean... I did do a pun at the beginning, the cold open of the first episode of this this uh, this go, and I did use a quote from Hard Boiled. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try. I got nothing. All right, it's fine. <laughs> well done, sir. And for our third criteria, the tiebreaker: best action sequence. And there is a picture drawn of a little dude shooting. I think he's got some some stick figure guns. That's very nice artwork, Ben. Thank you. Yes, Ben wrote wrote down our our criteria for today. All right, best action sequence, Jafar. I like these little calm moments before the storm. Still, still kind of Christian Bale to me. <laughs> have Have you seen the professional? <laughs> yes. Do you know that line? I do. Okay. That's it. Uh, right. that, that's the best action sequence of that movie. Now, see, hard-boiled is hard. Pun intended. <laughs> because there are four amazing action sequences in it. 
and the last half an hour of the movie is one long action sequence. But for my money, nothing beats the opening tea house shootout. It is the thing that sets so many bars. It is uh, Inspector Tequila, two guns, never reloading, you know, jumping over tables, uh, everything exploding. The, the partner gets gunned down, and he, he takes his revenge on the, the arms dealers. And in the most iconic shot of the movie, it's him hanging off a railing. Just going down, bam, 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 bam. Fires 40 rounds. Uh, and it's it's violent. It's over the top. It's insane. It's beautiful. And uh, uh, for my money, it is the best action sequence of the 90s. Sure. A lot of 90s action sequences kind of have one running theme in common bigger is better but what my theory presupposes is maybe it isn't the scene I referred to earlier you've got Gary Oldman coked out of his mind breaking into uh, Natalie Portman's parents apartment with a shotgun and just laying everyone to waste, humming Beethoven. It's lots of really tight camera shots. Lots of focusing in. Uh, Gary Oldman owns this scene. If you were to make a case for casting Gary Oldman as the Joker, especially in a post-Dark Knight world, this is the scene to watch for that argument interesting reversal here uh just it's a lot it does so much with so little just tight corridors small spaces to move in you've got the shotgun running around you've got gary oldman just smiling wickedly um and you convey so much suspense so much tension through that that your heart has no choice but to race and is that not the point of an action sequence Whew. this is a is an interesting uh head-to-head because we've got what i would say is probably a pretty um uh, iconic fun action sequence and a kind of more high concept high tension action sequence you've got one that kind of sets the bar for what what shootouts will look like in the 90s i'm thinking like the the lobby shootout from the matrix um and then you've got one that kind of i don't know i mean maybe 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 it would have caught on more but you also have a lot of really dark stuff that happens during the 90s to uh i think maybe 90s audiences weren't quite as uh willing to get behind the gun of a bad guy for the rest of the decade um so it's a tough one. I think ultimately I have to give it to to Ben just because I've seen more action sequences that are born from that moment uh, than from yours. Although I 
I, I acknowledge the the validity of both claims. All right. That gives Ben a non-decisive victory. Jafar is at five points. Chris is at three. Ben is at four. And next up is Chris versus Jafar. All right. Reaching into the briefcase. Ow. Chris, leave your leave your heroin needles somewhere else. Oh, those weren't mine. Oh, then no. I did I did leave them there, but they were not mine. Okay. Criteria number one. <laughs> I'm really proud of this one. Which film's hero will have the most consequences after the movie ends? And two. Which movie is going to have the worst reboot? Okay. So, which film's hero will have the most consequences after the movie ends? And which movie is going to have the worst reboot? Chris, you pick first. I'm going to go with Fifth Element. Goldeneye. Okay. Awesome movies. Love both these movies. <laughs> so excited. All right. Our first criteria, which uh, is perfectly lampshaded in the movie uh, Hot Fuzz, when after the shootout they, they're all sitting around filling out piles and piles of paperwork. <laughs> Uh, which film's hero will have the most consequences after the movie ends? Okay, Chris, you start us off. I think the consequence of a near uh, Armageddon, a near apocalypse, being um, fended off by the power of love uh, in the arms of a taxi cab driver... That sends a powerful message to the rest of the world that maybe all of our guns and spaceships don't mean quite as much. What really matters is convincing Mila Jovovich that humanity should continue to exist. And then, you know, some very strange, ancient, alien weapon. I never even thought about that, but Fifth Element, the you know, that, that dude, like, aliens on history channel <laughs> he's i mean that mimbari guy yeah <laughs> uh, that was a one percenter yeah so um <laughs> yeah i mean ancient aliens kind of did build the pyramids in fifth element uh but yeah i mean the world is saved with the power of love by an ordinary man i think that shakes up the social order a little bit so chris what you're saying is that it don't take money and it don't take fame and you don't need no credit card to save the universe because that's the power of love <laughs> I'll never never forget when I saw Huey Lewis live and he introduced that song by saying if I knew I was going to play this song every night the rest of my life when I wrote it I wouldn't have <laughs> and then went right into it <laughs> alright Jafar um Okay, well, Fifth Element ends with the galaxy being saved by the power of love. Goldeneye ends with the Bank of Britain being saved after the United States has a military force invade Cuba after fighting in Russia right at the end of the Cold War. That's a lot of explaining to do. 
Chris, your rebuttal. <laughs> I mean, how do you explain to the leaders of every military force on the planet that the decisive factor was a taxi driver kissing a redhead in saving the whole planet? I mean, I think that um, ordinary spycraft, even though it might save, like, it might save us from maybe a catastrophic nuclear war. Um, catastrophic nuclear war is how we get to a handful of the other films in our draft. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but mostly, a taxi cab driver uh, saves, saves the planet by kissing a girl after pulling some weird Jenga blocks out of a blue alien. And that's what you have to explain about the trillion-dollar deficit because of military spending that did nothing. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm just going to, to, to get my judgment. This is which film's hero. So for Chris and Jafar, two sentences. Chris, what is Corbin Dallas going to have to do <laughs> Jafar, what is James Bond going to have to do in the, the immediate aftermath of these movies? Chris? Two sentences. Just real quick. Unwilling messianic figures still have to pay the rent. I don't need any. Fair enough. I don't need another sentence. He is, he is still a meat popsicle. All right, Jafar. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> James Bond is going to have to explain probably to the United Nations Security Council, why he called United States Marines onto Cuban soil to save the Bank of Britain. Also one sentence, but a little run-on-y. <laughs> I mean... That's why I stopped at one. Sure. <laughs> I appreciate the difficulty Corbin Dallas went through to save, save the world. Uh... I am not looking forward to whatever uh, meetings James Bond has to have with Jane, with Dame Judi Dench about you were in Cuba and you blew up a giant <laughs> space station, space radio. Um, so I'm going to give this one to Goldeneye. Corbin Dallas is a cab driver. He doesn't have to fill out any paperwork. James Bond keeps his job. So I'm sure there was a lot of meetings. <laughs> I don't think we're talking about paperwork. I thought we were talking about, like, grand planet-wide social change. It was which film's hero. Okay. Okay. Uh, which movie is going to have the worst reboot? Jafar. It has to follow Casino Royale. Uh... That being the last reboot of James Bond. Good fucking luck. Uh, that was a fantastic film. Um, Goldeneye itself was an effective reboot of James Bond as well. And also was fantastic. It being the first Bond in the post-Cold War era. Um, also being Pierce Brosnan's first film. It depends on how much of a... What? Just realized this is the other film that could go because J Dame Judi Dench calls uh, J James Bond a dinosaur. Is the other movie with the dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> you you lit up like a Christmas tree there for a second. Um, Had to get the commissioner involved on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, 
effectively, it depends on if we count every new Bond as a reboot, which I wouldn't. Um, a lot of them, or at the very least, make an attempt at being continuous, some more than others. But I would say Pierce Brosnan is a soft reboot of Bond, and Daniel Craig is a hard reboot of Bond. Both GoldenEye and Casino Royale were fantastic films. So if they have a reboot of James Bond again, which they will at some point, uh, it has so much work to do that even if it is a 7 out of 10 film, it's still going to be the worst James Bond reboot. Um, That's fair. I think that Fifth Element was a good film by a thread. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's a great film, but so much of what makes the Fifth Element so great and so charming are like idiosyncrasies that are really tied into the timing of it. You know, Chris Tucker. Uh, we've already discussed at length how awesome he is. Um, it's hard to recast him. It's it's hard to recast Bruce Willis. You can do it. Um, but I think that the strongest argument for why anybody attempting to reboot um, the fifth element is going to have a tough time is that Luke Besson couldn't do it, basically, because Valerian uh, bombed. <laughs> and it's essentially a return to the same kind of, of feel of movie as the fifth, fifth element. You've got all of these exotic sights and sounds. Um, you've got some notable musical um, uh, entrances into the film. If Luke Besson can't recapture the magic of it, I don't know that anybody else can. Fifth Element is just so much a part of the 90s that I don't think you can. Meanwhile, James Bond is a Time Lord. He's been rebooted every decade and a half since 20 years after World War II. Like, James Bond has to be rebooted to match global politics every 15 years anyways um and there's an immense amount of money and it's built into the 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 value of the character to modern audiences is that he responds to the political climate of the time so i think that it's it's going to be tough to follow casino royale but i think that you can and it will happen and it'll probably do well i mean i think i think it will do well commercially i just don't think it's going to be as good as GoldenEye or Casino Royale. Um, slight tangent. Did either of you see Valerian? No. no. Okay. Because I was curious about how well it was received, so I looked it up real quick while you were talking, and it's got a 49% on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. a 4 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, <laughs> and an 82% approval rating from Google users. I don't know what to make of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The general I did want to see it. I, I um, wanted to see it too, but the general consensus is that it really panned. So, um, well, I mean, really a, a movie can do very poorly commercially and be a great movie. Um, Office Space is one of the more prominent examples of that that comes to mind. That's, I mean, it's fair, um, but Valerian failed to do well at the box office. The Fifth Element was actually the highest-grossing French film until the um, Untouchables in 2011. Um, so it, 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 the, the fifth element, yeah, no, no, the fifth element well. did very well. Yeah. Um, I believe it was highest grossing foreign film period for, for a, a long well, time for a while. Yeah. I think crouching tiger took it over. Yeah. 
Let me. Hero wanna... did really well as well. Man, Hero is such a good movie. On topic, Trafair. Oh. All right. So I believe the the losing the, the thread means it is time for me to cast my judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion on this, I believe reboots of James Bond tend to be some of the best James Bonds. I will say, and I know we both listen to a podcast that covers this at length, both Casino Royale and Goldeneye shared a director. And that is part of the reason why both those films, I feel, are so good. Um, we have not, we are not at a point now where we know that that person will be coming back. I, I, I'm just going to say, if if I had to, in a hypothetical James Bond draft, take Dr. No on Her Majesty's Secret Service, Live and Let Die, uh, License to Kill, and Goldeneye, I would do that. <laughs> George, that. George Lazenby is such a weird Bond. Um, <laughs> that's a really good movie, though. Save it for the hypothetical James Bond draft. <laughs> 007? What? Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I believe it has been done. You can reboot James Bond. Yeah. Oh, no, it's... I don't think you can reboot The Fifth Element. I think that is a story that got told. It can't be told again. Uh, Fair enough. It, you might be able to make another movie in that that world. I'd love to see more stuff in that world. But mm-hmm. I don't think... I think half of that movie is Gary Oldman. And without <laughs> Gary Oldman, I don't know that I... I Trust man, Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah. We did all you, picked a Gary Oldman movie. Did you know that Gary Oldman and Bruce Willis aren't aren't ever on the screen together in that film? That is correct. <laughs> it's, it's weird. He is a villain without ever encountering the hero. hero. Yeah. Uh, and just a brief uh, correction: it was the Intouchables, not the Untouchables, that finally surpassed in 2011. I was yeah. I wasn't going to say anything, but I yeah. I kind of I I, I I knew it sounded weird. I was like Untouchables. Wait a second. I, I thought I read that on Wikipedia recently, but I was certain that the Untouchables happened a while ago. They come at you with a knife. You come at them with a gun. They send one of you to the hospital. You send one of them to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Which is why I don't go to that town. <laughs> All right. All right. So that's I'm, a tie. Yeah, I'm giving that one to, to the fifth element. So it is a tie. Reaching in. What do we got here? All right. This is going to be interesting. Your film's characters are now your zombie survival team. Whose team survives the apocalypse longer? Okay, Chris? Are you green? (laughs) I think that behind every excellent zombie survival situation, um, you have to have a great leader. I think that's where a lot of them go wrong. So I'm not going to make an argument that like Ruby Rod is is, is the person you want on your team. Um, you, I don't think you, Chris, don't, Chris, my man, Chris, the zombies, the zombies. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sure that like that's a that's a good support to have. You know, like Ruby, Ruby does some does some work in that film. Um, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, what you do want on your zombie survival team is a a great leader, um, and I think that a man who manages to um, lead the world from the brink of destruction to salvation once can probably do so again, even after an apocalypse. Um, but more than that, I think you want somebody on your team 
who maybe their folks are going to check in, in on them in a couple of years. So maybe the Mondoshiwans, Mondo uh, they're like, oh, we haven't heard from Lilu in a while. Um, let's go check out the Earth again. Oh, crap. We saved them from this giant black space fire thing. But now they're all zombies and eating each other. Really dropped the ball on that one. Let's at least get you and your team of zombie survivors out. So I think I think that uh, I think that the characters of my film would probably do pretty well. All right, looking at it from a modern perspective, uh, the the current world, you're stuck in the zombie apocalypse. Um, you've got Alec Trevlin as your leader. He's a proven field officer who leads a great number more people than James Bond on a regular basis by the time we get to Goldeneye. Um, you've got James Bond as your hotshot action guy. But besides the obvious action stars who are going to save my ass, you've got two excellent hackers. One of whom is invincible! It's true. Don't have to worry about him. <laughs> uh, he's taken care of. Um, you have a Russian arms dealer who gag is being able to get a ridiculous weapon anywhere that's super useful in the zombie apocalypse but he can't run because he got shot in the leg he can't run but that's why you've got james driving a tank <laughs> i mean if you get a tank i get a flying taxi cab <laughs> he gets spaceships uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'll do, do without the tank. No, no, no that's fine. I, I'm getting the Mondoshiwans. Mondo, Mondo I, I get them to, to bail my ass out after a, a little bit of survival. So you can get a tank, that's fine. I mean, they're supporting characters, so I wasn't sure if I get M and Q. But if I do get M and Q, I feel that's very lopsided. Um, M being the leader of one of the largest intelligence services will know what's going on enough where you've got that crucial, as we've all discussed in our zombie apocalypse plans, that advanced notice that makes the difference between life or death. And Q, the gadgeteer, is just endearing. He's a gadgeteer. You can be, be one too. Because building crazy bond shit is the thing, thing to, to do. do. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. This is a tough one. Because if I'm in a room full of zombies, Coben and Lilu, they can clear that room of zombies. If it is a worldwide zombie apocalypse, I want the resources of MI6 at my disposal. Uh, they got all the good bunkers uh, and a rather large submarine sandwich. Because uh, <laughs> that's my life. <laughs> I mean, if they get the resources of the existing infrastructure of spies on, on which, Earth... Which I'd like to note, I didn't claim. No. I, get, I didn't take that. You get the resources of your team, which is one flying cab. And an entire alien civilization to come bail you out. And I want to just survive until that alien civilization comes. I'm giving this one to Goldeneye. All right. I disagree heartily. Lilu Dallas multipass, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a non-decisive victory for me. I had Plava Laguna on my team. It's important to stay occupied and entertained <laughs> during the, the zombie apocalypse, Ben. Jafar is at seven points, and Chris and Ben are tied at four, and they are also the last matchup before the final. 
All right. Well, we can't tie, so this is gonna settle. This is gonna settle it for yep. all the marbles. We won't have to flip that um, giant fucking um, coin. If one of you the gets, <laughs> if one of you gets a decisive victory, then we tie and go to the finals together. All right. All right. So Chris and Ben are tied. So we will have this Bring tie broken home. before the finals. I've got your criteria. For the last match before the finals in front of me, having reached into the briefcase, dodged Ben's errant eyeball, found no one who was a bitch, and removed two criteria. What movie would make for the best video game today and poorly explain the plot of your film? Okay. Ben, you have first pick. And with the first pick, I'm going with the first overall pick, Ronan. All right. Yeah, I'm going Waterworld. What's this note? There's a note. What? What's it say? Batman was never on my list. Smoke bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I juked you out so good. That the same <laughs> note worked twice. <laughs> Can we have a moment of silence for all the jokes that I'll never get to make about... I guess maybe if I win this one. Yeah. But, I mean, I I, I didn't get to make any, like, uh, John Hammond... Yeah. Uh, I mean, spared just... Spared no expense jokes. No Jim Just Carrey. put them on ice. <laughs> or wait, was it Batman and Robin or Batman Forever <laughs> shit? That was, that was from Batman and Robin, and I did not take that one. <laughs> okay. Damn. I also want to point out, I forgot to mention it during the, the one where I was defending it, all this time I've been drinking Tequila Slammers, <laughs> which is the main drink of Inspector Tequila from Hard Boiled. Oh, I think they might know. They might have figured that out. <laughs> I, you just heard me pouring. I want, like, they didn't know it was 7-Up and Tequila. So. I don't think we can say 7-Up on our podcast. I'm pretty sure we can. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We just can't say Roy... Nope. 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 Battle Royale. Battle Royale. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by 7-Up. The drink of Mario. Because you have seven lives. Uh, there was a 7-Up game. Remember that shit? Yeah, you played the spot. The spot. There was yeah. a Captain Crunch game. You remember that? No. Oh my god. It was You raised these little crunchling dudes. It was fucking... I, if, if we had done like... What's the best thing you pulled out of a, a cereal box in the 90s? I would have fucking Captain Crunch crunchlings. They're like these weird, weird like crunch berries turned into werewolves dudes and you trained them and then they did things and that I mean, sounds insane. I remember getting the Independence Day floppy disk games. Yes, those were amazing. I loved those things so much, but neither of those were picked. And I want to know what the best video game today is. So, Ben, can you start us off? All right. So, Ronan, I have either of you seen Ronan? Not if seen. not, I bought the special edition version on Blu-ray. We can watch it together. It's amazing. Uh, I, regardless of how this thing goes, I feel like we're having a friend bonding movie marathon in the near future. I am so coming out of our I research am for this. So down for that. As long as you don't find the devices, I've planted in this room. If I lose, yeah, okay, uh, that wasn't but, ominous at all. Uh, Ronan, several intense shootouts uh, with former spies. Because uh, the, the theme of Ronin is it's after the Cold War. The spies are no longer needed to
to look after each other, and they're now all mm-hmm. uh, freelance. They are now all uh, shogunless samurai. Hobbits in the Age of Men. Yeah, and so it is... Can we take a moment to appreciate hobbits and samurai armor? <laughs> <laughs> I was more thinking that it's more probably an apt comparison of elves in the Age of Men, but I will also take elves and samurai armor. They basically wear samurai armor. Anyways. Yeah. But can you just appreciate the... I, I in my I'm going to paint you a word picture. You are a highly trained special agent with all the gadgets and skills imbued to to people who have been trained for years you've spent decades in the field and now you are put together inside of a a pubg-esque city all after the same macguffin there are npcs wandering everywhere you don't know who is a spy and who is not and so you have to use your your gadgets your ability to observe who's running randomly across streets in, uh, going after radio pings who when you you know uh, press the you know squelch on your radio reacts who keeps going for their gun who's running down that alley who's chasing you down that alley who are you setting traps for who's setting traps for you this is a really big word painting I would play the shit out of this game right now oh, uh, uh watchdogs the multiplayer the, oh is that what it's like i haven't, I haven't people invade your game and then you have to ch- decide which one of them i literally or watchdogs okay yeah okay watchdogs. what am i thinking of the is it sleeping dogs sleeping yes. dogs different game different, different game that game is basically hard-boiled the game <laughs> okay that game was one of the humble monthly games i just got it i've bought it three different times really i love that okay. game okay. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> i've got it on steam i've got it on uh ps4 <laughs> i love yeah, yeah. that no, game the watchdogs multiplayer people join your game trying to spy on you and you have to figure out who they are by like scanning them and setting traps and stuff like that huh. yeah yeah it's super fun uh but I imagine a, a persistent game where that is that is the theme and you're going after a macguffin somewhere in the world uh because that is the theme of ronin there is a box that they all have to find doesn't matter what's in the box doesn't matter uh, and so nobody knows exactly where it is. You keep getting, uh, hints at where it might be. Everyone keeps getting closer to it, closer to it. You know, there's 20 other spies in the room, but you don't know who they are and you don't know what they got and they don't know how they're going to find you. Okay. Chris. Um, <clears throat> so Waterworld, the video game, um, I don't think you could have done this video game until like 2017, 2018. Okay. I think that it only caught up like the, the, the processing power, the graphics. Um, so I think what you've got is you play the titular um, Mariner because he's just the Mariner in the script. He's not Kevin Costner. He doesn't have a name. He doesn't look like Kevin Costner because Kevin Costner is staying far away from this property. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably a good thing. Um, you know, I think maybe you, you are from the same um, and deep in the backstory of Waterworld. There's a comic book that reveals that the Mariner might not have been the only dude and he was maybe created by genetic engineering and stuff. So I think maybe you play a similar character. There's a Waterworld comic book? Yep. 
Man, I, Amazon. Hello. If I had if I had known about the um, Waterworld comic book, I might have drafted the Mariner. <laughs> um, uh, so so what what you've got, I think, is an open world set on the open ocean. Um, the tech for this is available. You've got um, open world sailing with some like fighting involved um, in like Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. um, uh, Black Flag. Um, <clears throat> you've got extended sequences of exploring underwater. Um, which really is going to lean on the uh, current current next gen hardware, uh, so it's going to be really pretty and it's going to be really cool to be diving down through like the ruins of the Empire State Building and something like that. Imagine like the spelunking slash climbing sections of Horizon Zero Dawn, but underwater. Um, this is all built around a central campaign that has you facing off against um, a mad tyrant in an oil vessel of some sort, just like the the original film. Um, and your central hub is an atoll, um, one of the islands. Um, you go on missions to retrieve supplies. You upgrade the weapons and the fortifications. Everybody loves a base building slash upgrading kind of game. So you have open world. You've got some really cool exploration. I'm think I'm thinking basically like this is uh, in, in a lot of ways very similar to Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I just need you guys to commiserate with me for a moment. While on Amazon searching up Waterworld coloring or uh, comic book, <laughs> Waterworld coloring book came up, Ooh. but it is just a generic adult like draw dolphins. Aww. Aww. I, but when Waterworld coloring book came up, I was like, uh, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I want to summarize your games a little bit more. You both of you made allusions to other games. Yeah. I want you to pick maybe two games that your pitch, like it, the elevator pitch to a development studio. It's this game meets this game mm-hmm. in space. This game meets this game underwater, whatever. All right. Um, uh, ben. All right. Uh, well, I believe I, I said it. It's PUBG. Uh, it is player unknowns battleground in a persistent city uh, somewhere in the south of France. You get uh, oh. you get uh, villas. You get uh, f- rolling fields with uh, flowers. Mm-hmm. You also get tight packed city, and there is a point that flashes every so often, and everybody's working their way towards it because that's where the MacGuffin is. And okay. you gotta you gotta get to the MacGuffin. You got to be the one to get it and survive. Okay, Chris. Cool. Um, will I be penalized for throwing in uh, more than two, or are you valuing conciseness? Um, I mean, considering how concise Ben was just not, and only listed <laughs> one game, I say we're pretty free form here. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna say it's basically Horizon Zero Dawn meets Mad Max at sea with a hint of The Last of Us. Okay. Of those two games, I am more excited to play the Ronin one. Um, the idea of a bunch of NPCs wandering around and you have to identify which ones are players sounds very interesting to me. Um, that harkens to the stealth that I love from Metal Gear Solid, um, which is my favorite game series of all time. Um, I think I would really enjoy that game. Your game sounds fun, Chris. 
Um, I would probably play it for sure. I think I would like it more if it were an MMO. I think a Waterworld MMO could be really cool, almost Eve style, where there's lots of space in between and you're doing your mining and you're exploring and resources are very important and you're trying to build uh, yeah. bigger ships Maybe and stuff. Maybe one of those um, turn-based strategy games that resets every couple of months. Mm. That might be fun. Trivian and stuff, yeah. yeah. I also like the idea of a PUBG-style Ronin game where... Your unlockables as you customize your character are to try and make yourself look more and more bland and more and more like an NPC. <laughs> you don't want like to stand out. Long sleeves because every character has ridiculous tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to give that one to Ben. All right. Um, all right. The second criteria poorly explain the plot of your film. Chris? I'm halfway tempted to look up the Wikipedia article and read verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many directions to go with this. Um, okay, so in a world where paper is more precious than gold, one man attempts to find an island. Paper. Did you ever think you'd see... We did that last episode, didn't we? We did, yeah. That's my favorite quote <laughs> from that movie. doesn't matter. Ben! A bunch of actors make their last good movie, and Sean Bean doesn't die. It's a little meta. It's, it's a little more meta than I was looking for here, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you poorly explained a Wikipedia entry of your movie, not your movie. Point goes to Chris. Alright. Which means you guys are still fucking tied! <laughs> <laughs> it comes down to the last... Criteria before the finals. Pitch the best holiday special for your film. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> ben. Oh fudge. Okay. Uh. Oh damn. <laughs> okay. I know what the holiday special version is of his. <laughs> Go on. Sorry. Ronan Armistice Day. Set in France in November. Everything's getting cold. Everyone's got their trench coats with their collars turned up. Walking through the streets of Marseille. Uh... People still need a job. People still need work. And uh, former spies from the nations who have been at war for a century uh, are pushed back together uh, to find one more MacGuffin to stop World War Three. Chris? Um... So I think I'm going to rely on the fact that um, nobody knows anything about the previous world, right? Okay. Uh, and so the people of Waterworld, um, on their brand new island, are trying to recreate Christmas. They only have scraps of precious paper. <laughs> um, and nobody even remotely knows where you can find a pine tree. I think that the climactic, like, joy, joyful and triumphant moment 
is when um, Kevin Costner dives down and finds a fake an artificial Christmas tree uh, with the lights still on it and brings it up um, and is, is all joyful. But I think that throughout the, the movie, the source of comedy comes from just how poorly they are uh, recreating Christmas and how little of it they understand. Yeah. Okay. Any rebuttal, Ben? Uh, I'm just saying, if the North Pole's me- melted, how does Santa get there? Oh, that's a good question. That That's going to be something they have to solve. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> but, but what if he's coming? <laughs> what if he's coming for them? <laughs> they don't know who Santa is. They don't maybe even he, have chimneys. Maybe he's a jolly red man on a boat pulled by these weird things called reindeer who's coming to take their presents. Oh man, who's your cameo Santa Claus guy in the red boat that's coming to take the presents? Um, I'm trying to remember who who isn't dead at the end of that film. Uh, oh yes, uh, and this brings me to my excellent piece of Waterworld trivia. Guess who you never knew was in Waterworld? Jack Black. What? Jack Black <laughs> is driving the goddamn plane that they fire the harpoon to. <laughs> I had no idea. So yes, Jack Black survives his plane crashing and arrives later, um, it, dressed all in red, to to um, to take his vengeance on the island of the uh, of the survivors of Waterworld. Okay, do you have a sweet Christmas cameo, Ben? Uh, sweet Christmas cameo. Well, it's an Armistice cameo and a sweet Armistice yeah. Day cameo. Yeah. Uh, uh, for Armistice Day, uh, we get. Uh, Jean Renault in a fake mustache playing uh, Charles de Gaulle. That's lovely. All right. Um, well, uh, I have to rely on my experience here to make this decision. Um, this is a tough call. Uh, but when I think holiday specials, only one thing comes to mind, and that is terribleness. Um, I've never seen a holiday special and thought it a worthwhile addition to anything except for a handful of episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, um, which do Halloween right. Um, so on that regard, Ben, your pitch was lovely. I would watch that movie and or, and or holiday special and enjoy it thoroughly. Chris, your sounds like absolute shit. You win. <laughs> Fucking bullshit! <laughs> I mean, blame Lucas. I think Armistice for the precedent. Armistice Day was a weird choice, Ben. I know. You could have just inserted your characters into the plot of Jingle All the Way. They need to find toys for their kids, and they're putting all of their spy skills to use to get that Turbo Man. Imagine we have made no Turbo Man jokes. This whole episode, and well, this, I'm a little disappointed. This, we, 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 we made a bunch. Load, we, we front loaded. <laughs> it's fair. <sighs> oh man, Sinbad would have been a good cameo for Santa Claus. That's true. <laughs> okay, that that was heartbreaking. <laughs> I did too good a pitch. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> All right. Okay. The final. The final. Jafar versus Chris. All the uh, uh, all your guys' picks are back unlocked, and we get two more, the two final criteria. All right. As you guys go into the nerd fight battle royale for supremacy. Apparently, this is to the death. 
yeah um it's been it's been fun um if i lose tell my wife i love her uh, she won't listen to this podcast i've got one happens. knife it is in between you it's, it's a box cutter yeah it's a little rusty though so do some damage and i ate a bunch of romaine and that e coli thing is going I mean, around me and so you i might not i think i think anyways. i think me and you like you know the last boss fight of metal gear solid 4 yeah <laughs> yeah, like uh, totally. Ocelot, Ocelot, and uh, Solid Snake just beating the shit out of each other on the top of Arsenal Gear. That's us. Mm-hmm. No, no knife required. All right. At one point, doesn't he have a knife through his arm? I don't. I know. At one point, Ocelot kisses Snake, and that would definitely happen with us. Yeah, too. totally. One hundred percent. Okay. Okay. Pick a one-liner and use it as a personal mantra. So pick a one-liner from your film, and and just use it. <coughs> As an affirmation and a, a mantra going forward in your life. Okay. okay. Wait, is is it pick the best mantra or like literally embody this mantra going forward from this day forever? <laughs> I'm I'm willing to do both. That's gonna yes. take a long time to decide though. <laughs> like, my, I already got mine. Who's good? The, no, who's the ultimate judge of that, of that criteria? <laughs> Me. Yes, in 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 and Ben's not bitter in, at all. In, so <laughs> no, he's the ultimate judge of the criteria. In sixty years, when we've both lived our our one liners, as you are laying on your deathbed, I will just lean in and whisper, "You lost episode six. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. And I'm really glad we, we I drew this one. Uh, completely reimagine your film in a different genre. Okay. All right. I've got first pick because I had the most points going into the final. This is easy for me. I didn't even need my picks unlocked. Starship Troopers. All right. Chris. I think I'm going to uh I think I'm going to also unbuckle my gun belt, throw down the rest of my bullets and go with Batman Forever. All right, sir. Okay, good luck to the competitors. We just shook hands. You can't see that in no. the audio format, but we did shake hands. Okay, Jafar, pick a one-liner and use it as a personal mantra. This is kind of something that I would already consider a personal mantra of mine. Whenever I approach something new, whenever I am greeted with a challenge in my life one thing that i always try to do is learn as much as i can beforehand uh that's been something that i have always kind of taken a charge on i try to go about things to give myself the most knowledge of the subject before i encounter what i need to do We have to re-record this, Ben. Sorry, I get where you're going. It's perfect. <laughs> this is like the most clipping I've ever seen. Sorry, it's bad. It's... You can uh, restart if you'd like. Oh God, so much of that was good, though. I think it's just cut it. Or just, just, just do yeah. it. Would you like to know more? <laughs> Well done. Well done. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Chris. 
<laughs> I didn't know where you were going, and then I got it. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of options for this one. How do I want to live my life from this point forward? There comes a time in every man's life where he must look to the past, examine what was good. Perhaps you had an excellent Tim Burton film. Right? That happens to everybody. Perhaps you had... Johnny Depp mostly, but yeah. Perhaps they haven't about Helen Bottom Carter yet. Yeah, yeah, perhaps, yeah. perhaps you had a second um, Tim Burton film. Maybe things things have started to go wrong since that point maybe gotham city has been increasingly filled with people uh who prefer neon colors rather than good old-fashioned crime maybe the drug of choice has gone from cocaine to ecstasy maybe it's not the same old city and maybe you look a little strange in your latex bat suit now that there are all of these bright lights shining at you It could be very easy at that moment to decide to give up. Certainly, maybe there are darker days ahead for you. Maybe Alicia Silverstone has just been confirmed for the next film. I think that in a trying time like that, with all of the neon skull face painted gangsters around you, when the very thought of nipples on your bat suit threatens, I think you have to look then to the future. You have to look to a future in which perhaps you look a little bit more like Christian Bale, and there's not nearly as much neon. In fact, there's very little. And then maybe past that point, you also see an era coming when, when you will have um, a much bigger chest and no, no joy or humor, and you will kill people again, like you did in your early Tim Burton days. But you have to look even farther than that. Because for every bad Batman film, there is eventually a better Batman film. Batman is, and always will be. And so I say to you, I'm Bruce Wayne and Batman, not because I have to. It's because I choose to. I choose to be Batman forever. Thank you. Well, that that went kind of deep there, Chris. Thanks for. I mean, I could have just gone with joygasm, but I couldn't think of a way to like. <laughs> Joygasm's a great line, though. Joygasm is a great one, but that's a really tough way to spend the next twenty years. You know, Chris, you, you get nothing off, done. You cut off my pun because you really parted the veil there. <laughs> oh wow, that is. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that you've never made a pun that's put me in physical pain before this, but that would be a lie. Whew. And in response to that, I will also say which argument I think won this one for me. So if you'd like to know about uh, puns that have hurt your fare, just click, would you like to know more? I, I did appreciate you taking us through the, the filmology of, of Batman. But knowledge is power. I'm just saying 
it gets better, guys. We don't know. For Batman. all of no, well, no, we we gotta. I gotta. I gotta take a moment to be serious. For all you Batman nerds out there like me who are really hurting right now, who think that maybe we would have been better off with some bat nipples on our Batman, it gets better, guys. Criteria two: completely reimagine your film in a different genre. Chris, I think he, I think that the only way out is through Ben. I think you turn into the skid. And you go full 60s Batman with it. You've already got the villains for it. You've got Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones chewing the scenery and pumping out one-liners. I think all you need is a Batman who's a little bit less serious about himself. Um, And I think that nobody can take themselves too seriously in a musical comedy Batman film. I think that we're going to call in our friend who is still alive at the time, Prince, to write the numbers. If you didn't know, Prince uh, intimately connected with the Batman soundtrack world. I think that uh, Jonathan Groff as the Riddler. For for Two-Face, go back to the source, give him the shot at it that he never had, Billy D. Williams. Um, I think for Batman... You need somebody who has proven themselves uh, to be capable of both superhero antics, lighthearted comedy, and musical theater. Um, And you need somebody who's going to make a lot of headlines when they cross the line. So I'm going with Hugh Jackman for Batman. And for Robin, you need a boy sidekick. You need an actual boy Robin. You can't cast an adult Robin anymore. I think we're going to pull in the the kid who plays Bruce Wayne in Gotham. Just, okay. Just for some continuity. I was thinking, um, God, what's Finn from Stranger Things would be an interesting choice there, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He could be pretty good, too. You know who would be awesome in this without trying to... Because I think Hugh Jackman might be too old if you're, if you're going modern, because I think you are with, with Goff as the Riddler. Go Groff. Groff. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Groff. Uh, go with uh, Ewan McGregor. Hmm. Okay. He. I mean, he's younger than Hugh Jackman, but by how much? A significant bit. I think. I think that. I, I think, think he's at least ten years younger than. I Hugh think Jackman. that. I think that the world could accept a little bit of gray in Bruce Wayne's hair, um, to to listen to somebody who really has the uh, the inside scoop on being both uh, a Broadway performer and an action hero. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, Russell Crowe would have made a good Batman at some point, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, that ship has sailed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that would have been yeah. fantastic casting at some point. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I just, the idea of you and McGregor as Batman, a singing <laughs> Batman came into my head, and I'm just like, I kind of <laughs> no. want to see that. That's uh, worth sharing. I can, also, I can also appreciate where you're going with a... Uh, 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 Hugh Jackman and a comic book character he's actually the right height ass um, so oh, but, but, and by the way I think we keep Michael Caine I, we keep <laughs> Michael Caine uh, even if we have to auto-tune him I don't know if he's a, if he's a singer but we keep him um, have you not seen Muppet Christmas Carol? <laughs> I've seen uh, we don't talk about Muppet movies on this podcast <laughs> you don't? I, I, I think I think we need we need a uh, 
That was the but, two inside of a joke. I can I can appreciate <laughs> we need a we, lighter. We need an Alfred who can kind of bring a little bit of Mary Poppins into the mix. Okay. Um, Jafar, uh-huh. genre flip your film. I'm gonna genre flip my film, but before I do, let me say that a musical Batman Groff Riddler is going to literally be in my dreams tonight. <laughs> uh, just just putting that out there. Riddler's my favorite comic book villain of all time. Uh, I think it would. Be I would have never thought to have cast him in that role, but no, I never that was a, that was a great pull. But I never would have also thought of a musical Riddler before. Uh, that is fucking glorious. Yeah, I mean, what we've heard that. Um, what's the name of the song? The Barry Allen song. Oh yeah, uh, the ballad. The ballad of Barry Allen. Ballad of Barry Allen. We've all very very recently heard something that is like a great example of what you can do in a musical format with these uh, yeah. characters. The Flash so. musical episode was great. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Genre flipping Starship Troopers. Um, the Starship Troopers movie that came out in 1997, uh, Paul Vanderhoeven, uh, is a war satire action comedy. <coughs> Fair? Yeah. Every, everyone can agree. Yeah. That is. Okay. Um, I think the inclusion of Jake Busey makes it a comedy. <laughs> I want to keep. I'm not going to recast it all uh, because. I think the chemistry the cast had worked well. Sure. Um, but what I want to do is the movie was very different than the book. And I'm not looking for a straight adaption, which would be a slight turn because we remove the comedy and parody and it is a straight action war movie. Um, if you haven't read the book, um, I highly, I, I will let, g- gladly lend you my copy, either of you. Um, it is a quick read. It is probably the greatest science fiction novel under 150 pages ever written. Um, I'd have to check a page count. I'm not 100% on that, but it's it's that small. Mm-hmm. Um, what is missing from one of the big changes they made, besides the genre change from the book to the movie, is Rico's relationship with his father. And I would focus on that for my genre switch. Um, so in Starship Troopers, the movie... Buenos Aires gets wiped out. His Both of his parents die, right? And then he signs up for military service. In the book, he signs up for military service. Buenos Aires is wiped out. His mother dies. His father is away on business and eventually joins the military as well and ends up serving under Rico. So I want a coming-of-age story from both perspectives that that kind of situation can give you. So you've got young Rico coming of age. Um, he is Rico is very interested in the military. Uh, he is not his father's son in that regard. His, his uh, dad is a dove. He's not interested in war. He's not interested in military conflict or military service. And so growing up with that relationship, spurning that, joining the military abandoning your parents effectively you know like no your thoughts on how to live your life were wrong and then you twist the typical coming of age story by focusing on rico's father as he joins the military and ends up serving under his own son and how their relationship is flipped i'm sure there are legions of fans of that book that are would would love to see a, a, a film of that. yeah yeah uh, any other rebuttal, Chris? I think we've both made pretty good pitches, actually. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I, I think that, uh, to, to Jafar's credit, he's got a lot of genres on board. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, flipping flipping it is, is difficult to do. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, I agree. Going back to the source material would be a great, a great idea. I think it is great. And I think that would be a really interesting movie. Uh, a musical Batman uh, does sound intriguing. Uh, and I, I agree with you, Fair. A Groff Riddler. Good, good pull. <laughs> Regardless of if it's musical or not, I think that would be great. Uh, but I'm going to go with a uh, updated uh, Starship Troopers. On a side note, before we get too far off the topic, you guys, are you aware of Holy Musical Batman? The 60s-style Batman musical done by Starkid? No. No. (laughs) Okay, cool. We'll we'll watch that later. Okay. Um, Add that to the movie marathon list. Um, It's going to be another three months before we can record again. I think we've just robbed the moment of all of its inertia, but I believe that Jafar is our champion. It's my first win. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, cool. So I win. I get three points to the overall league standings. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, you came in second. So you get two points and you get to pick, pick the topic of our next draft. Episode seven. Mm-hmm. Episode 007. Got to give the people what they want. We're going into Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay. Just Is Bond it... films in general, or do we want to get more specific? Well, do you want to get more specific? That's your call, man. I don't think we could get more specific without getting, like, into who, the weeds. Like, well, That's well, fair. like, who's your Bond? There's not not enough options there. Okay. No, I think uh, while we could go Bond villains, I think that there's a lot of fertile ground in just going Bond Bond, bond films. Okay. All right. Episode 007, James Bond draft. Hopefully this time we will actually have some competition for titles. Because <laughs> we've been drafting like almost nothing from each other. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. Okay. Ben, third, yep. you get first pick. I'm Once sure you're again. thinking right now <sighs> what that's going to be. Yep. All right, everyone. From well, up here in first pick, it's a lovely view to a kill. Uh, no, no, that movie's no, awful. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, um, Bond theme songs could be another good one. Yeah, that, I'm sh- I will write some criteria for Bond theme songs, 100%. Thanks, as always, to the Kickstand Band for our theme song, How It Feels. You can find their music at bandcamp.com. Remember, kids, it's the Kickstand Band at bandcamp.com. Hey, you got it. Okay. <laughs> Feel free to email us any suggestions for future uh, topics and criteria at DraftTheUniverse at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at DraftTheVerse and join the discussion using the hashtag DraftTheUniverse. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again next week. See you later, Internet. (sighs) Happy Valentine's Day. If it's still Valentine's Day. We don't know. Fuck it.
it's like negative three degrees here. Um, Not quite Boston cold, but real cold. It's so cold in the D. It's so cold in the D. Don't sing. Think of your How answer. How the fuck are we supposed to keep peace? That's gonna be. That's gonna land for one person. It's gonna hit them right where where <laughs> they live. But nobody else is gonna know what you're what you're talking about. Like that time we covered "Smell Your Dick." Anyways. <laughs> What you say? Oh, that you only meant well. Well, of course you did. What you say? Oh, that it's all the best. Because it is. Ben's microphone seems extra sensitive today. <laughs> I think Ben is just extra sensitive today.